I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's go. Well, you look good. You look bright and shiny and happy. Mahalia is pulled up in some type of braid bun. I'm here it's, for it. It's a messy bun. Heavy emphasis on the mess. Well, Jules is crawling to the finish line because, you know, she she's getting her she's getting done uh, in a couple of days because we're going out of town. So she oh, wants to she wants it. to be fresh. Yes. You know, for the Delta Sigma Theta National Convention mm. in Indianapolis. Oh, yeah. Indianapolis. OK. I've never been to Indianapolis. You know, I haven't either. I, it seems like the Midwest has been, you know, like many parts of the country going through some um, climate extremes. So hopefully everything is, is okay up there and travel safe. Yeah, I will do my best. Yeah. Well, sis, I want to tell you about something I read that was very interesting and intriguing to me. It was a very short piece in the New England Journal of Medicine. I don't even know how long ago it was. It was probably a few months back, but I just read it this week. And it was written by a young faculty member named Amy Kennedy. Amy wrote about her experience as a new mother who had difficulty breastfeeding mm. and was talking about how, though, though we know all the benefits of breast milk and everything, it's important for us to remember that just not everybody can breastfeed and um, it can be really difficult. and. Obviously, there's all kinds of things that are best for our health, but sometimes uh, for your wellness, you just can't do that thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so um, it was just a really fascinating piece. And I say this because, you know, full disclosure, when I had my first child, Isaiah, he was a big baby, nine pounds, two ounces. And I just sort of thought I would slap him on my breast and it would just be like, like little, you know, birds would begin to chirp and you know, the world would be perfect. And my son did not immediately latch onto my breast. He did everything but that, but mm. he was big. And since he was large for gestational age, I was doing the thing called the triple feed, which is where you put the baby on your breast for a little bit, pump and give them a bottle. And it, and it, what it leads to is you being exhausted because you are pretty much feeding your baby around the clock. Mm. And the latch on part didn't go so well for me. And I finally went to my pediatrician, haggard, crying, tired at my six week visit with the baby. And she looked at me, she was like, you know, the world will not end if you stop nursing your baby because it's not working for you. You mm -hmm. do know that like, and I'm like, no, but I'm a board certified pediatrician. I have to, she was like, no, you've tried really hard and you can continue to try. But what I'm telling you is that there are people who can't turn out okay, who never see breast milk. And I would rather you be mentally well and be able to love and enjoy your baby than just agonize like you are right now. So you can give it a little more time, but I'm letting you know that woman to woman, I permit you to do what you need to do for your well-being. Mm. It was the kindest, most empathic thing 
she could have said to me as a fellow mom and pediatrician. And that is actually pretty much what I did. It wasn't working for me. But I do remember feeling ashamed and being at work and people being like, do you need to go pump? And I'd be like, no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I just wanted to say to Amy Kennedy that I see you. Mm. And there was a a piece written by a group of lactation advocates um, and champions, not really in response to what she wrote, but almost encouraging people to even go that extra mile, even if they're struggling. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I think of this as an inclusion issue. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can breastfeed. So I, I recommend people read that. I won't tell you what to think about it. I'm just saying that it was affirming to me as a mom who had difficulty nursing her first child. My second child, he didn't get that memo. He just jumped right on. It was fine. But the first, he was like, yeah, I don't care what you're saying, AAP. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing that and a bit of your own journey. You know, it just reminds me how much those stories live in the dark and how much shame surrounds the issue of of breastfeeding. You know, it Mm -hmm. shouldn't be something that we judge each other for. Well, if I can... At just one more reference. Um, yes. One of my good friends, um, Dr. Edith Racho Sanchez, is a pediatrician out of Columbia mm-hmm. who has a very active social media following. You can Google her. We'll mm-hmm. add her in the show notes, but she gives a lot of great inclusive advice for new moms, especially moms who are Spanish speaking only. Mm. So mm. I'm glad you brought that up. Do everything you can to breastfeed your baby. Shout out to the lactation specialists and everything, but also shout out to the people who permit us to not do everything perfectly. Yes. Well, I I just want to affirm you also in what has been a glorious discovery for me. So I read Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese, as you know, read the book. It was fantastic. But now I'm going back and listening to the audio version and it is giving me a whole new life because I'm like picking up references and things that I would have missed had I just read it once all the way through Mm -hmm. and hearing his voice and his pronunciation of a lot of words that I read, but had no idea what they were. It's just, it's like a whole different experience. Um, Isn't isn't Abraham Varghese's narration voice? It is a balm for your soul, isn't it? It really is. You were not just, oh, I told you, I said, it is like, I said, bro, you got, you got another career ahead of you as a narrator, if you want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm recycling an old reference, but just to add a little bit more emphasis on it, y'all, like in 2023, out of the many books that I've loved and read, this is definitely the top. Yeah. That's a really, really excellent book. I am currently listening to the newest, I guess, series on Serial. Have you ever listened to the Serial podcast? I remember like when Serial first became popular. Yeah. There's a new season called The Retrievals. Mm -hmm. And The Retrievals walks through the experience of these women who were seeking infertility treatments and experienced a very painful and traumatic experience that now has led to sort of legal stuff. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but what I will tell you is that it is a hard listen, but it is really, really fascinating. Just Mm. like all the serial things are hard listens, but fascinating. So check out the retrievals. It is really well done. It is really, really well done. I love it. Mm. 
Well, folks, we obviously are not going to sit here and offer you guys recommendations and, you know, wax poetically about all our favorite books and podcasts because we know the reason that you are tuned in specifically on this week is because you know the real storyteller in chief, Dr. Uh, 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 what? Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Right. Let, 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 me, let me keep going. I'm, I'm on a roll here. Yes, the storyteller in chief, the commencement speaker, Twitter queen, <laughs> all the things, you know, she is on the mic today. I am thoroughly excited because I know that this is going to be a time of relaxation and wisdom <laughs> and epic storytelling and reflection. So that was pretty good. That was good, though. I'm going to give you. it to you. I tried. You're trying, you're trying to catch up with me with those intros. I, I know. See. You always, you always do. <laughs> I'm trying to assert myself here. I like it. I like it. I'm here for it. But in any case, I got to ask you, of course, mm-hmm. what is the what for this episode? The what is want. Want. Mm-hmm. Okay. As in like desire. Yeah. Yep. As in desire, not to be confused with need mm-hmm. or okay. necess- or necessity, just what you want. Okay. I yeah. like where this is going already. <laughs> and you know, it's, a, it's good because we're on the theme of women and what we want and how sometimes what we want doesn't always turn out exactly how we wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's right. I know that's right, girl. So this was a, one of my most memorable experiences um, working in the primary care center at Grady Hospital. I know the year it was 2016. I was working in the clinic and there was a patient that I had been seeing for a while. And I and I am a, one of the faculty preceptors in clinic. So I don't actually have a direct care clinic where I have my own panel of patients. I actually follow patients with our residents. But the beauty is that they're patients that I like follow through multiple residents, but I've known them for a while. And um, there was a woman who I absolutely adored. I had seen her probably, I was on like my third or fourth resident with her because I have been at Grady for a while, right? And um, in that time, uh, she had unfortunately uh, lost her husband. But the last maybe three visits, she just seemed melancholy. She just seemed kind of, just kind of sad, kind of down. She had lost her husband probably like the year before. And, you know, she was still functioning fine. She was keeping her appointments. But even before her husband had passed away, there was just this kind of melancholy about her, this sort of, I don't know, like this little tinge of sadness that she always had. And I couldn't put my finger on it and I could not relate it just to the death of her husband. It just always seemed like it was there. Um, And on this day, for whatever reason, it was just hanging like a cloak in the room and I needed to know. So I started to probe a little bit more and ask her, you know, why, what am I feeling? I feel like the last few times I've seen you, you just seem, and I know this seems silly, but sad, like, I mean, just like a little hint of sad. Mm -hmm. So she looks at me and she said, you know, I, I am, I am actually really happy. You know, I just, sometimes I just think about wishing that I had done more things in my life. And so of course I do the thing you immediately do, which is start to like, try to cheer you up. You know, I'm like, Oh, you know, 
but you have four amazing kids and you have seven grandkids and you're this and you're that and you're this and you're that and you you had a great career as a as a nurse and you had a great career you know so i'm saying all these things and she was like i i have had a good life i had a very good partner uh, my, my spouse was wonderful I, my life's been good but now that i'm older i look back and i just think to myself you know it looked like i didn't never do nothing i wanted to do just because i wanted to do it mm, wow she said, look like everything I ever did in my life, it always had to work out and be convenient for something else. You know, if we took a trip somewhere, we had to have some family there, or it had to be something connected to something that kid was doing, a, a cheerleading competition, a dance recital, a baseball tournament, my husband's job doing something. You know, it was always connected to something. But I never did anything that I wanted to do just because I wanted to do it. And I just wish I had. This lady was in good health. So I'm like, well, you're still in great health. You get around fine. Why don't you go do stuff? You can do, you can, you can still do things. You can do the things you want to do. What do you want to do? What will make you happy? So I'm probing her. She was like, no, I, I, I go places. I go, I go on cruises and I go, you know, places with my friends. And she said, but the thing is, I can't have it back the time of when I was a young woman. See, I wish I had done things when I was a young woman. When I was at an age where people hold the door for me, not because they respect their elders, but because they think they got a chance to court me. Mm. And I can't have that back. And it was really nothing I could say to this, right? Yeah. So I will tell you as a sidebar, there was something that I was dealing with in my head at that time. Nothing too extreme, but what it was, was one of my sorority sisters from Tuskegee had taken a job in Paris. When she told me at homecoming, I think I'm gonna take this job in Paris. I was like, oh, okay. And then next thing I know, she texts me and she says, I, I took this job in Paris. And I'm like, oh, okay. The next thing I know, she's like, I'm in Paris. You should come see me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, okay. But she had started grilling me to come to Paris and run the half marathon, the Paris half marathon with her. And the idea of it, I literally just patted it on top of the head. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, OK, uh-huh. And she was like, OK, no, we're going to register for real. We get online together. We register for this race. I have no intention of doing this race because very much like my patient, that would mean that I was going all the way to Europe to do something I wanted to do just because I wanted to do it. They didn't have nothing to do with my kids, my husband. There was no like specific reason for me to do this other than me just wanting to do it. And that isn't the thing that a married mom does. That's not mm -hmm. what you do. What you do is you do the things that kind of surround family, right? Yeah. You know, I had this, this registration for this race, but I really had no plan to go. But then I meet this woman in clinic and she's telling me about all this and she's saying, you know what, Dr. Manning, let me ask you a question. Do you do stuff? And I said, what? She said, do you do stuff? Just do stuff that you want to do just because you want to do it. And I said, yeah, you know, I meet out my, I go to my friends places. I, you know, I run, I do this, I do this. She was like, yeah, but like, what about something big? Do you do something that's going to like cost money or, or disrupt your household or anything? Just because, just because it's what you want to do. 
And all I could think about was how I had this registration to the Semi de Paris sitting in my email and how I had not even entertained how I would even get to Paris. And the race was something like, um, I want to say it was like two and a half weeks away. <laughs> my God. <laughs> I, even had, I, I had no intention of going. I knew I wasn't going. And she was just like, you know, my advice to you is that you do stuff. She's like, you, do, you need to do stuff. She's like, you at an age right now where you still can just, just find you something you want to do just because you want to do it. And she said, you know what I realized? The part that's hardest for me is that it wasn't because my husband or anybody told me I couldn't do it. It was because of me. Mm. It was because I told myself that I couldn't do these things, that it was too inconvenient and that I needed to only do things that connected to family. And I just could not shake her words. I mean, she was really almost tearful. Like she grabbed my arm. She was like, do stuff. Wow. Why are you young? Do stuff. You're going to look back and wish you had. I can't have that time back. Do stuff. So I was like, damn. I remember leaving the clinic and this was just like replaying in my head over and over and over again. And I tell one of my girlfriends about the about what happened in clinic. And, um, and she was like, oh, my God. So are you going to go to Paris? And I was like. No, the race is in like two and a half weeks. So no, I am not going to Paris. And she was like, well, you know, I, I work for Delta Airlines. I could probably try to help you get a buddy pass. If you got a buddy pass, do you think you'd go? And, and you know, I'm like, um, well, because I have not really entertained it, right? It became real. So she goes, oh, you know what? I'm going to look into it. So she looks into it and she goes, oh, I can get you. A, I can get you a buddy pass now. You're going to fly standby. So if for some reason it doesn't, you know, you can't get on a flight, you might have to wait a little bit, but you you could probably get there. I was like, okay, but now I've been put on the clinic schedule and everything because I didn't think I was going. And then I go and I'm in clinic that day and next day and I mention it to another colleague and she's like, oh my God, you should totally go. I'll cover you. I'm like, dang, all of these little doors are opening. Add to that, I got a jury duty form. That's that was during the time of the Paris half marathon. I take it up to DeKalb County and even the lady in DeKalb County was like, what? You got a chance to go to Paris? <laughs> Boo, we're going to reschedule you. Hook wow. me up. Like the whole universe was saying, I need you to do stuff. Mm. And of course, when I told my husband, he was like, oh, that sounds dope. You should go. You run all the time. You in shape. Go. And when I got in that airport, it really was not until they called my name up to the counter and gave me a seat on that flight mm. that I actually realized that I was going. When I got on the flight and it started to take off and I had never been to Paris, I was just like, I couldn't believe that I was doing this. And I started thinking about my patient and I got, I just started crying. I was just mm. like, oh my God. I was like, I cannot believe I'm doing this. This is just me doing something I want to do because I want to do it. And you know, I got to Paris. My friend hadn't even trained at all. She wasn't even ready to run the race with me. I had to run by myself. <laughs> so I was running through Paris, through all of the like monuments and sites and everything as an American who doesn't speak French. And all I can think about is how happy and proud I am that I am having this experience as a 40 something year old woman. 
And I was just weeping. I mean, I am running and weeping and like French people are coming up to me and I don't speak French. And so they can't help me. They think I, you know, I already run slow. So they think maybe it's because I'm slow. I'm like, no, I just, I'm sorry, you know. And after that, I spent about five more days in Paris. Mm. You know, me and Patsy, we walked arm in arm through Paris and people held doors for me. And it wasn't because they was respecting the elders mm-hmm. it was because I was like a really hot 40 something year old woman who was strong enough to run 13.1 miles mm. on a bunch of like cobblestone uneven pavement. And that patient gave me the courage to do that. I would have never, ever done that if I had not had that interaction with that patient. And I have to say that was a pivotal moment. It was a real pivot point in my life, because one thing you know about me now is I do stuff. Mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. stuff. I'm not, I'm not going to look back on my life when I'm 70 something years old and wish I had done stuff. And this is what she told me. I don't want you to look back on your younger years and you are in your younger years. She told me that she's like, I don't want you to look back and be like, I should have done this. I should have done that. So, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to my sorority convention next week, this week. Why? Because I want to go. It has nothing to do with my husband, it has nothing to do with my two sons. It is disruptive to my household for me to leave town. It is. Nobody's paying me. I'm paying somebody for myself to go there. It's all for me. It's for me and what I want to do and for my own enrichment. It's what I want to do. Mm, mm, mm. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think you have to be older, younger. You don't have to be a, a parent. You don't have to be anybody. Um, to, to get something from, from that word, from that woman. I mean, we are just people who are so used to serving others. Yeah. We don't, we don't do stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you get a chance to share that experience with your patients? No, I never got a chance to share that with her. I I had, I didn't, run into her again after that. And I don't, um, she's living, um, but Mm -hmm. I just haven't been in clinic when she was there, but I can see her face. Yeah. I do remember her grabbing my forearm and her asking me, how many kids do I have? And I told her I had two Mm -hmm. and I told her, you know, I had, how long I had been married. And she was like, and you work at Grady too. And you teach medical students, see about yourself, do stuff. She's like, you, you pick you something every year or a couple things every year and you just do what you want to do for mm-hmm. no other reason other than that you want to do it. Wow. Damn. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and, and once you, and I, I tell you, once you do you realize how much better it makes you at everything else you're trying to do for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. We always live our lives in such a way in which we like, plan to start living at some point in the future. I mean, I, I love that story for so many reasons. I, it of course makes me think about my mom and my grandmother. And mm-hmm. I actually distinctly remember a conversation with my grandmother. And she mentioned at one point, oh God, I think this was actually in 2016 about mm-hmm. feeling a little bit forlorn about the stuff that she didn't do. Your grandmother? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been so many points in my life, you know, up until the last year um, of feeling really down and out about not doing all the things that I was 
supposed to do by the time I'm in my thirties. And, you know, it's only recently that I've recognized the gift mm. of being able to like run off for a week down to Big Sur at some yep. bougie retreat. Yep. I'm living the life that my, my grandmother wasn't able to, for a lot of the reasons that I think your, your patient was dealing with, not just the circumstances of being a mother and like having so many responsibilities, but also just like the guilt, mm, the mm. guilt that comes with doing things for yourself. We also buy into those narratives and, right. and, and begin to tell ourselves that the way to be good is to do it this way and this way only. And like what good mother, what really good mother leaves her middle school kids to, mm. to go and just run a, a half marathon in Paris? Who does that? Like, you know, you go to Paris with your with your with your spouse or your partner or connected to some family vacation. No, like I just went because I wanted to go. And again, my partner who loves me very much, like his response was like, oh yeah, that'd be dope. You should do yeah. it. That would be really, really dope. He said, and when else are you going to have a really close friend who lives in Paris where you can stand on her balcony and see the Eiffel Tower? Yeah. I don't have to go get a hotel or anything. He's like, oh, this sounds perfect. Yeah. I also love that you went ahead and registered and had no intention of actually going. Yeah. I mean, I always call this patting an idea on the head even though you don't have any intention of doing anything like that. I think people do this all the time. Sometimes you do it knowingly. Sometimes you do it not knowingly. You buy something or plan for something when you know you aren't ready to do it or make it sound like you go into somebody's gathering when you know you ain't going. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I just think there are things that we tell ourselves that we can't do. And I, and I think that was a big one because it was just so many steps and it costs money. Yeah. Um, and, and the idea that I'm worth, you know, whatever this is going to cost. Even when I was talking about the um, getting a buddy pass and flying standby and all this to my husband, he was like, well, why don't we just buy a ticket to, for you to go to Paris? I mean, you don't have to pay for, you know, where you're going to stay. So why don't you, why don't we just buy you a ticket? But of course, you know, me being the frugal person that I am. I was like, hey. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like shout out to my patient because she changed, she changed my life. There are things now that I do, you know, running the Ragnar races with my friends. I used to not go to sorority convention actually. Now I go because I want to go. Yeah. And it, and it makes me better and it matters to me. I want to go. Mm. I remember a really good piece of advice I got when I first got married was somebody said, start the game the way you want to finish it. Mm. I can't say I started the game this way, but hearing that advice, I have let that kind of trickle into a lot of spaces. So it isn't just about something big, like going to Paris either. It's also about other things that I want to do. And my whole family is now sort of on board with that. And I, and I give the same space to the people I love for them to do stuff as well. Right. But it's okay to permit yourself to do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what you want to do is what works for you. And maybe what that thing is, is something big. Maybe it's something small. Maybe it's something related to something the world thinks you should be doing. Yeah. Well, I have some ideas of some big things I want to do, but I'm going to tell you offline. Do stuff, sis. Yes. Do stuff. You got to do stuff. Yeah. All right, sis. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate you uh, letting me. Meet you late at night for this rendezvous.
I appreciate you for bringing such a wonderful story to our audience and something that I'm going to be thinking about and holding your patient's words and your resolve to go to Paris and run a half marathon. That sounds freaking amazing. It was so awesome. Yeah. And you know what? I, I will make sure in our show notes that I link to, I wrote about it. Oh, wonderful. Yep. And yeah. I, and, and I have pictures and everything. So good. I look yeah. forward to it. All right, sis. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Love you. Love you too. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and The Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.